The peace of the Lord be with you. Oh, you have no idea how good it is to hear that in person. Uh, it's great to be able to see some of you whom I haven't been able to see for uh, quite a while. I think some of the faces that I see today, uh, probably maybe almost a year, if not more, I, I don't know. It's so many months, it all blends together. And although God is present and with us even when we you know, worship Him at home, it does make a difference for me as a preacher uh, when I'm able to speak to more than just myself uh, in an empty room with a phone or, or to Eugene or Andy, our camera operators. And so, glad to be able to speak to a live audience. Uh, we pray that cases remain under control so we can continue meeting together like this. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for this morning. We thank you for a time when we can gather together and turn our attention to you, to worship you, to praise you, to learn from you, and also to be convicted by you. And so, Lord, we pray that at this time, Lord, that you will open our hearts, our ears, our minds. Help us, Lord, to receive what you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, before I continue, can you see my glasses fogging up? <laughs> oh no, it's not helping now. I can't see you anyway. Never mind. Okay. I'm asking the Lord now. God, please, don't let my glasses fog. Okay, uh, last year, I lifted up a bit better. Last year, we went through the book of Genesis. Okay, and... Uh, for the first half of the year, we went through Genesis, and the second half of the year, or, or almost like towards the last quarter, we, looked through, uh, we went through the letter to the Ephesians. And I understand that in uh, recent years, when I think back when uh, Pastor Ronald and, and Pastor Gary were, were here, Penetrity also went through the books of Exodus and the Gospel of Luke, correct or not? Were you guys here when that happened? Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, so we've, at least in recent memory, uh, we've gone through at least four books of the Bible. And so part of our mission and our desire to you know, nurture disciples and to make more disciples is to also know the Word for ourselves and to be able to cover it uh, uh, from, from the whole counsel of the Word and not just selective passages that we keep coming back to. So this year, we'll be going through the book of 1 Samuel in the first half of the year, as Chongjin mentioned. And in the second half of the year, we'll be switching over to the New Testament in the book of Acts. Okay? Ideally, 1 and 2 Samuel should go together uh, because, you know, originally one scroll. Uh, but there's just too much to fit in half a year without skipping over significant portions of Scripture. So we have to cover 2 Samuel another time. Now the overarching theme that will be tying these two books together of 1 Samuel and the book of Acts is that uh, is the theme of God's reign, okay, his rule, where it's rejected by the people of Israel in favor of flawed human kings in 1 Samuel, as we will see. God's rule is later embraced by the early church in the book of Acts. Now, before we dive into 1 Samuel, let's just have a very quick summary of uh, the story of the Bible so far so we know where we are, okay? Because 1 Samuel is, is somewhere 
middle-ish, uh, early middle-ish of the Bible, right? So last year, uh, we went through Genesis. We saw God's good creation and design for relationship with mankind quickly get corrupted by sin, right? God created man uh, to, to have this great relationship with him. It got corrupted by sin. Fast forward past Noah, uh, God would then choose one man, Abraham, to become the father of a chosen nation, which would be called Israel. Okay? And so at the end of Genesis, we left the people of Israel in Egypt. Right? If you remember, we went through quite a, uh, uh, quite a few weeks of uh, following Joseph and his brothers. And so uh, at the end of Genesis, there are now 12 tribes settled in Israel, uh, sorry, in, in Egypt, in the land of Goshen to escape famine there. Then the book of Exodus would skip ahead, uh, still in Egypt, but now oppression and slavery of the people of Israel, and God raises Moses to be a deliverer for his people to lead them out of Egypt. They would eventually leave Egypt, they would, but in, in the course of leaving, they would rebel against the Lord in many ways, and that causes them to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until an entire generation dies out. In the meantime, in Exodus, while they are doing this wandering, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, they're doing this wandering, uh, God gives them his law. Okay? He, he tells them how to live with him, how to live with one another in the way that he desires. And he makes a covenant with them that if they obey the law, his commandments, they will be blessed. If they disobey, they will be cursed. And the tribe of Levi, out of the, the 12 tribes, was also set apart to function as a priesthood. Eventually, Moses will die together with the, the rest of that generation that first came up from Egypt. And Joshua would assume lead, leadership from Moses and he would lead the Israelites into conquest, okay? finally possessing the land of Canaan, the promised land that God had promised to Abraham and his sons hundreds of years ago. Okay, so that would be all the way up into entering into the promised land, Jericho. And then comes the period of the judges, okay? and Ruth is also part of that. Uh, the, the period of the judges where a generation grows up without knowing God. And because they don't know, they, they had not seen, they had not experienced God's deliverance in the wilderness, uh, they grew up in, in relative security and, and peace, uh, they would sin greatly against God in idolatry and breaking His commandments. Okay, so during this period of judge, judges, God would allow the surrounding enemies of Israel, not all have been defeated yet, uh, surrounding enemies to oppress the Israelites. He would allow that because of their, their sin. And so, uh, they, he, he would allow the, the enemies of Israel to oppress them because of their sin. Then the Israelites would cry out to God and God would raise a military leader known as a judge to deliver them from their enemies. Okay? Then the land would have peace uh, before the Israelites would forget about God and sin again 
and the whole cycle begins again. Okay? And so this happens many, many times. Eventually, the sin, their sin, uh, their depravity gets worse and worse. The conclusion of the book of Judges is that in those days, Israel had no king, and not just human king, but God as king. Huh? Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Okay, that's the conclusion of the book of Judges. And so this is where we begin the, the book of First Samuel, around the period towards the end of the book of Judges. Now, up to this point, God had been teaching his people Israel that he is their king. You know, he is their ruler. He is the one who is to be leading them through, uh, through the, the, the wilderness and everything. He was always their sole provider, their defender and everything. And he's been teaching his people that relationship of, of obedience with him is how they are supposed to live abundantly in this promised land that has been provided for them. But we will see later in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, the people reject God as king, and then this would lead into the monarchy of human kings in Israel. Now, in terms of major events, the book of 1 Samuel starts with the birth of Samuel, okay? And it continues into eventually the crowning of Saul, okay, the first Israelite king, and then the rise of David, and the eventual fall and, and death of Saul. And then 1 Samuel ends there just before David becomes king over all of Israel. And so 2 Samuel would be all the exploits of David and, and the Davidic covenant and all that. And so Samuel is an important character in Israel's history. He is the, the last judge of Israel before Israel becomes ruled by kings, just like the nations around. Uh, Samuel is also considered the first prophet after Moses, uh, a prophet being somebody who heard from God and spoke his message to the people. And so in today's passage in 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, verse 1 to 20 that was read for us just now, we're looking at the origins of Samuel, and it involves his parents, Elkanah and Hannah. And the major theme of this passage is this subject of prayer. Okay, and uh, the, the, our, our church school has uh, not resumed yet, and so I understand that online, you know, where, where the families are gathered, the kids are also there gathering. Uh, and so let's watch this video to learn a bit about this whole subject of prayer. God's story, prayer. So part of God's story is about prayer, and it goes like this. Prayer is what we call a conversation we have with God. That means even though God created the entire universe and has power over all things, He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to know Him. That's pretty amazing. We can talk to God anytime, anywhere, about anything. But let's look at four examples of different ways we can pray. One way to pray is to praise God. That's when we tell God what we love about Him. Like a guy named Jehoshaphat. He was king of God's family when some big-time armies declared war on them. Jehoshaphat was terrified, so he talked to God about it. He said, God, you are the mighty ruler of all things. 
We don't know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. King Jehoshaphat believed God could help them. So as he went into battle, he sent people ahead of his army to praise God. They said, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Yep, that means he thanked God before he won the war. And when God heard his praise, he caused those big armies to attack each other. Jehoshaphat didn't even have to fight. A second way to pray is to repent. See, we all mess up, which means we turn away from God. When we repent, we ask him to forgive us and we turn back to him. One time, another king named David made a big mistake. He took something that wasn't his. Then David tried to cover it up, which turned it into an even bigger mess. When David's good friend Nathan told him he disobeyed God, David repented. He said, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Mercy is when someone gets forgiveness they don't deserve. And guess what? God will always forgive us when we repent. Of course, anyone can pray to God, not just kings. One woman named Hannah reminds us of a third way we can pray. We can ask God for something. Now, Hannah really wanted to have a baby, and she told God that. But you know what was crazy about her prayer? Even though she really wanted a baby, she said, God, if you give me a son, then I will give him back to you. Kids, isn't that unusual? To ask for something you want, then give it back? Well, a year later, Hannah had a son and she did exactly what she promised. She gave her son back to God by sending him to live with a priest named Eli and do God's work. And Samuel just so happens to be a great example of a fourth way we can pray. Like any good conversation, we shouldn't do all the talking. We should listen, too. That's because God is in control and we've got to yield or give in to what he wants. We yield when we listen to what God says and obey him no matter what we want. One night, God called Samuel's name three times. When Samuel finally realized God wanted to talk to him, he said, speak Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel stopped to listen and God told him things. When Samuel obeyed what God told him, God kept talking to him. And when we pray, when we praise, when we repent, when we ask and when we yield, we remember that he's the one in charge and that we get to talk to him because we're loved by him. And that's some of what the Bible says about prayer. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is also listening to God. There are a lot of ways to pray. Jehoshaphat praised God. David repented. Hannah asked God for what she really, really wanted. Samuel listened. And they all wanted what God wanted more than what they wanted. Prayer reminds us that God is in control. He loves us and wants to be close to us. And that's a part of God's story. Special word of thanks to Crossroad KidsClub.net for uh, that video. Okay, as we can see from the video just now, different purposes for prayer, that when we talk to God, we should be doing more than just 
asking for things, we should also be praising Him, repenting from our wrongdoings, yielding to Him, obeying Him. But today we are zooming in on that A of P-R-A-Y, okay? We are going to look at asking the Lord. And the big idea of today's message is that we can have hope and peace when we ask of God in prayer. Okay, we can have hope and peace when we ask of God in prayer. I'd like us to look at three R's for today's passage. Firstly, the reason for Hannah's despair. Secondly, the result of Hannah's despair. And thirdly, the redemption of Hannah's despair. First, let's look at the reason. Now, before we continue, uh, let me just remind us that uh, as, as we can see in this passage, uh, that Elkanah had two wives, and that's the, the source of a lot of Hannah's grief. Uh, polygamy was never God's design, okay? And the Bible never presents polygamy, having more than one wife, as a positive thing. But one of the common reasons for marrying a second wife was in order to bear an heir, okay? If the first wife cannot have children, then the second wife would bear an heir to inherit the family estate. And so it's quite possible that Elkanah married Penina after Hannah in order to bear children because Hannah could not. And so this would have been a great source of anguish and grief for Hannah and would cause her to despair for several reasons. And two categories of reasons for this despair uh, some would be known to her that Hannah would be aware of and others unknown to her. And so firstly, the reasons that Hannah knew for her despair, I've mentioned this before when we looked at Sarah's barrenness last year and also we, we also went through Hannah about a year and a half ago, uh, but for the benefit of those who uh, have joined us recently or, or maybe missed some of those messages, a woman's inability to conceive was a very big deal back then because the, the worth and identity of a woman was very closely tied to her ability to produce children. Oh, sounds very offensive to females today, huh? but no, that was the culture back then. Uh, and so children were seen as blessings from God and a source of great pride and honour especially for women. And so when a woman was not able to produce children back then, they weren't just not fulfilling their duty to their husband and family as baby producers. They were also considered punished by God for some sort of sin. And the reason for this is because children were seen as blessings from God. And so, you know, you flip that around, infertility, inability to bear children was considered by the ancient world to be a curse from God. And so not only was there a, a social stigma and shame for being barren, women in that culture could be cast aside or they could be given a lower status within the family just because they cannot bear children. And so being in such a predicament would be enough to cause Hannah to despair. But to make things worse, she didn't just have a rival wife who would produce babies when she can't. This rival wife would provoke her to the point of tears. We don't know what sort of provoking this is. It could just be a snide remark. 
it could be a silent chuckle, it could be a ha-ha, you can't produce babies, I don't know lah. Okay, but uh, this rival wife make, made things worse for Hannah. And the law given to the Israelites through Moses uh, required all Hebrew males to go to the place of worship uh, three times a year for religious festivals, okay? At this point, the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence was uh, seen and, and known, was in Shiloh, okay? And that's where Joshua had divided the land. The temple hadn't yet been built under uh, Solomon, right? So the tabernacle is in Shiloh, and so people would travel there uh, in order to have these various religious festivals. And it's quite possible that the festival from the events of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 was the Feast of the Tabernacles, where people celebrated to remember God's provision for Israel in the desert, how he provided uh, for them even as they wandered around, and also to thank him for the summer harvest. And so, this would have been one of the regular reminders for Hannah about her inability to bear the fruit of children. And her rival was always there to rub it in because they would go as a family. And so these were reasons that Hannah knew for her despair. She wasn't able to bear children. She had this rival who was bugging her about it. And she, uh, she, she had a, a great shame and social stigma attached to her inability to bear children. But there were some things that Hannah didn't know, something she wasn't aware of. First uh, Samuel chapter one verse five to six says, "This is Elkanah to Hannah. He gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And so we see here the ultimate cause for Hannah's barrenness." In fact, the Bible emphasizes it by repeating it close together. Now, it's very clear here that God is the one who is responsible for her inability to conceive. Now, before we jump to the conclusion that God is cruel and unfair and that he wanted Hannah to suffer and his, all that, consider some of these things. Firstly, children are a gift from God. They're not something to demand from him. Parents provide the, the biological material for conception, and so the DNA and, and all that, the womb. But God is still the creator. He's still the one who breathes life. And so children are a gift from God, not a right to be snatched and demanded. Secondly, Deuteronomy 7.14 does promise the blessing of children to the nation of Israel if they obeyed him. But remember, this is the period of the judges where Israel as a nation sinned greatly again and again and again. And these covenant promises apply to the nation of Israel as a whole. Thirdly, we've already seen many times that God looks at the greater good and the greater purpose of what appears to us at that time as a setback. In fact, of the births that are recorded in the Bible, those that followed a period of barrenness produced characters that God would use 
to do great things. And so all those mothers who had difficulty producing children, eventually when God allowed them to produce these children, these children will go on to do great things for God. And so the lesson here is that God's ways are not man's ways, and that God's ways always yield far better results than our usual methods and, and expectations of how things normally work. Because think about this, if God had not closed Hannah's womb, she would certainly not have offered Samuel to the service of the Lord. She would just have her baby and live with him uh, for the rest of her life. Samuel would not go on to play all these extremely important roles in Israel's history. And so all that is just part of God's preordained plan. Hannah's barrenness also turned Samuel's birth into a miracle. Okay, it, would, it was something that would not have been possible without God's special intervention. And we know that when, when miracles happen in the Bible, it is to highlight God's hand at work, to make it very clear that this is not just natural causes, this is not just man's doing, that God is responsible. And the result is, people turn to him, people put their faith in him, people praise him. And on top of that, Hannah's own experience of God's miraculous work in her life would change her. It would leave a huge impact on her. You can see a dramatic transformation of her prayer from chapter 1 to chapter 2. Uh, she, she prays this prayer, long prayer of praise and, and thanksgiving to God in chapter 2 from a woman of weeping full of despair to a woman rejoicing and full of praise for him. And so with these things in mind, let's spend some moments in reflection or discussion uh, on the following question. Those of you in person here, you don't go near and discuss uh, because social distancing. Okay, so you just reflect where you are. But especially for those at home, do discuss among your families. And the question is, how do you usually respond to God when you don't understand why trials and setbacks in your life happen? Okay, and for the kids, do you find it easy or difficult to obey your parents when you don't understand the reason and why? Okay, we have two minutes for this.
Let's continue with the second R, the result of Hannah's despair. Now, although Hannah was suffering greatly, she didn't stay trapped in a pit of self-pity and despair. In verses 15 to 16, Hannah tells Eli, the high priest, that she was pouring out her soul to the Lord. And, and uh, the Hebrew here literally is, she's pouring out the abundance of her anguish and grief. And so there's just so much, so much, so much uh, that there's uh, more where that came from, all her anguish and her grief. Now, this is probably not the first time that Hannah prayed. I mean, we, we usually look at this story as, yeah, Hannah said a prayer and then she got a son. Uh, but part of the regular festivals that the family took part in uh, involved eating meat after the fat had been burnt off as an offering to the Lord. And so each member of the family had a portion of the meat and so although Hannah got a, a double portion, or in some translations, a special portion of this meat, it would have been far less than the portions given to her rival and her rival's children. And so each festival where they go to worship the Lord would have been a reminder, a regular reminder of Hannah's inability to conceive. And verse 7 tells us that on these occasions, her rival would provoke her to tears year after year. And so this is a regular occurrence. It's not just a one-time thing. Okay, it's, it's almost like a, a, a regular yearly, probably many, many times over the year. And so while today's passage could be the, the very first time she's asked God for a son in prayer, it's also entirely possible that year after year, Hannah poured out her anguish and grief to God in prayer. Okay, but whatever the case, Hannah looked to God for a solution to her infertility. She sought the Lord out of her anguish. Now contrast that with two other matriarchs from the Old Testament, Sarah and Rachel, both barren women whom we looked at last year. And when they were unable to conceive, what were the methods that they used? Their solution was to use the culturally acceptable solution that was available to them, which was to have children through their servants, right? Through Hagar and, was it Belilah or one, one of the handmaidens? And so this would have resulted in much jealousy and favoritism and much strife in the family. But Hannah's solution to her situation was not to use these methods that were common to the world, but to turn to God. Because she understood that the only way that her problem could truly be solved in the way that she needed, not just in a less than ideal way, was only God could solve this problem. Because only God can give children. And so she made a vow to give back to God what she was asking for. In this, this particular trip to Shiloh, at least in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, Hannah doesn't just pray, she makes a vow to God. And so let's look at this vow. She says, Lord Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, 
Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now this vow is interesting because, like, like the video mentioned just now, she asks for a son and then she vows to give him back, <laughs> basically, by, by dedicating him to God's service to eventually live in the house of the Lord in Shiloh. Now, Shiloh is about two days' journey from where she lived, okay, about 30-plus kilometers. And so this means that she usually only got to see him maybe a few times a year whenever they embarked on their annual pilgrimage. So you imagine when you balik kampung for Chinese New Year once a year or maybe twice a year you visit your relatives, uh, then you get to see your son, something like that. Okay, so... Why did Hannah ask for a son just to give him away? I don't think Hannah was desperate to experience the pains of childbirth and she just wanted to see how painful it, it could get or she wanted to you know, prove to her rival that, see, actually, I can have babies, you were wrong all along. I don't think that was her only motive for making this vow to have a son just to give him away. I think it's more that Hannah believed that if God could give her a son, then he could surely give her more. And that's exactly what he does. Right? In chapter 2, verse 21, uh, we, we discover that God was gracious to Hannah. He gives her uh, other sons and daughters. But coming back to this vow that Hannah made, she specifically pledges her son to God to be a Nazarite, even before he's born. Now, the Nazarite vow is a, a, a vow that the Mosaic law allowed for, where Israelites who took it would set themselves apart from everyone else for a period of time. Okay, it's a, a finite, limited amount of time, usually about a month. Uh, and the, the three things that set them apart very distinctively were they didn't cut their hair, they didn't drink alcohol and they didn't go near a dead body. And the point of this vow, it's debated, but pretty much it's so that someone could dedicate themselves to the Lord in a very special way. So outside of the usual way that Israelites were already supposed to live their lives in obedience to God uh, and, and remembering God and worshipping only God, uh, this Nazarite vow was something that set them apart on top of that, to a, a very, very special sort of, okay, I'm consecrated, I'm set apart, I'm holy uh, for this period of time, uh, especially so. And so Hannah dedicating Samuel to be a Nazarite from birth all the days of his life indicates that Hannah had a desire to wholly surrender him to the service of God. Not just, okay, God, I'm going to, you, you give me a son, I'm going to give him to you, let him serve you for about two years, and then he come back. No, it was completely give back to God. Now, of course, making a vow like this in the first place indicates Hannah's faith as well, that you know, God was completely able to grant her request, which would trigger uh, her, her, her promise to come into place. Now let's spend some time in reflection and discussion on this question. What's one thing that you've been seeking the Lord for? And what helps you to keep asking? Okay, and, 
as you reflect, uh, do take the time to respond to the Lord in how the Spirit may prompt you. For the kids, what is something you've been asking God for? Okay, let's spend two minutes. All right, let's move on to our last R, the redemption of Hannah's despair. Now, today's passage in chapter 1, it marks a turning point in Hannah's despair. And it's not when, you know, when Samuel is finally born. It's not even when Hannah discovers that she's pregnant. The turning point is here in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 17 to 18. Just after her prayer to the Lord, Okay, Eli sees her praying. Uh, he, he sees her praying uh, without, you know, not out loud in her heart. And he thinks she's drunk. And then he confronts her and she says, no, I'm, I'm praying to the Lord. And he says, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And she says, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. Before that, she was weeping and she couldn't eat and her face was no longer downcast. And so the turning point is here. After her prayer to the Lord, she pours out her anguish and her grief to God. She goes away, no longer in despair. Now, Eli is the high priest. He's also a judge of Israel. We'll look at his character more in coming weeks. But for now, he represents God in pronouncing a blessing on Hannah. And so in verse 18, Hannah leaves... She regains her appetite. She cheers up. Is all this just because of the blessing of a high priest? I think it's more than that. You see, when Hannah prayed and asked God for a son, it brought to her the antidote for her despair. 
the, the opposite of her despair, hope. You see, asking God for something in prayer requires hope. You, you cannot pray for something without even the smallest glimmer of hope. Without hope, we wouldn't bother praying at all because we'll be telling ourselves, what's the point of praying, right, if there is no hope? Now, I know many of us feel that a lot of things surrounding our nation's politics or a lot of things surrounding the, the state of the pandemic around the world uh, and the different variants that crop up, a lot of us feel that it's hopeless and there is no point to continue praying for change. And so we either try to escape it and we, you know, flee to another country where the, the government is, is uh, more according to what we think it should be, uh, or we live with it and we say, Aya, uh, we, we just have to bear with it, and you know, e even if it's not the ideal. But every Thursday, we have a group of people in church who come together online right now uh, to pray for this nation and this world in pandemic. And the reason they gather isn't because they're confident that the government would improve itself or that the people of this world can just somehow be very, very obedient to all the SOPs and eradicate the pandemic altogether. They gather together regularly in prayer because their hope is in God who can do anything, no matter how unlikely it may seem. Friends, we follow a good God who is sovereign over everything. And sometimes we don't understand, like Hannah, we don't understand why he allows certain things, why he allows injustice, why he allows suffering to continue. But nevertheless, we shouldn't lose hope in him just because of our own human short-sightedness or human lack of understanding. We need to continue hoping in God because he is good and he is sovereign. And so at the start of this new year, start of 2022, I want to invite all of you and all of you online as well, uh, to join us in continuing to hope in the Lord. And so we meet every Thursday at 8.30 p.m. on Zoom. Uh, if you want to join but you don't have access to the link, you don't know how, just ask your small group leader or call our church office or look for me later. We'll be more than happy to share it with you. I'd love to have more of us exercising our faith and hope together every week. Now, coming back to Hannah, again, I don't think it was just Eli's blessing that brought her peace. I think it was a result of her prayer. Because asking God in prayer brings peace. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, do not be anxious. Instead, ask God in prayer. Paul's telling us to replace anxiety with prayer. Why? Because if you look at the next verse, Philippians 4, 6 goes into Philippians 4, 7. Peace accompanies asking God in prayer. Just as Hannah experienced. And so why does peace accompany asking God in prayer? 
Well, have you ever had a leak or a blockage in your plumbing before? Any of you had plumbing problems recently? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you, know, you know, if you have a leak in the wall or in the ceiling or, or wherever, uh, it's a great source of anxiety, right? Correct, huh? If you feel very anxious that something is wrong in your house, you cannot solve it then and there. You don't know whether the leak is going to get worse, whether your water bill is going to rocket sky high or whether it's going to do more damage. And uh, worse, if it's a blockage, you don't know whether you can use the toilet, right? And you can't do what is necessary. But once you call the plumber to come and fix it, you become less anxious about the problem because you know that an expert is coming to solve it. And so the problem is not solved yet. Uh, there's probably a different sort of anxiety, you know, where's the, when's the plumber going to come, why is he late, <laughs> that kind of thing. But it's a lot less anxiety than worrying about the problem and how am I going to solve this problem on my own or is this problem going to magically resolve itself? And so the anxiety reduces and is replaced with peace when we turn to an expert to fix. So friends, when we ask of God in prayer, He's the expert who can fix anything, it brings us peace, even if our circumstances haven't changed yet. Now, like I mentioned earlier, we don't know if this is the first time that Hannah asked God for a son or whether it's something that she did every year. You know, who knows, maybe every year she came with anguish and despair, but left with hope and peace. Whatever the case, this time, something was different because God remembered Hannah. He remembered her. Uh, early the next morning, they rose, worshipped before the Lord. They went back to their home. Elkanah made love to his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Uh, as an omniscient God who knows everything, he never forgets. Okay? God doesn't forget. And so in the Old Testament, whenever God remembers someone, he's not thinking and recalling a person that he has actually forgotten and slipped his mind, but it means more for him to act on their behalf. Okay? That to that person, it may appear as though God forgot, but he never did. And so when God remembers, it's that God acts on their behalf. And so God acts on Hannah's behalf. He opens her womb. She bears a son. In response, Hannah names her son Samuel, which sounds like the Hebrew for heard by God or asked, asked God for him. And so she, she names Samuel this to remind herself and to remind the world that God heard her request for a son. Let's spend some time reflecting and discussing our final question. What's one area in your life where you need God's hope and peace? And for the kids, what's one thing that you worry about? And parents who are with your kids, please do uh, pray for them about this worry. Okay, two minutes.
In conclusion, I'd like you to know that we can have hope and peace when we ask of God in prayer. We can replace our despair and anxiety with prayer and put our trust in our sovereign God. I'd like you to be confident that God hears your prayers. He has not forgotten you. Keep asking. Trust His good will and timing. And do seek the Lord in prayer. Even if you don't understand the reasons for your predicament, keep on hoping in the Lord, seeking Him in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.